0: In today's episode, I'll be leveling a critique on individualism and humanism, which, in other words, can also be called that sense of personal freedom that America so violently prides itself on. I think our foolish reliance on human ingenuity alone has led to a total separation from God, and by extension, a separation from our own souls. I'd like to start with the Greek tale the myth of Sisyphus. Welcome to the very first episode of The Weight of God, a podcast on life, literature, and spirituality. My name is Faria, and I'm very excited to be recording this first episode. Hopefully this can be a place to keep the conversation going around that which arrests the soul. The myth of Sisyphus is something I was introduced to in my sophomore year in college. At the time, I was coming into myself as an English and philosophy student, But I was still kind of grappling with the disconnect between studying lofty, high-minded things about beauty and the purpose of life and the sublime and transcendent, etc, etc, etc. With running late to classes and the dining hall closing before I could grab dinner and the really terrible smell of the guy sitting next to me in my Aristotle class, like my life felt so ordinary, so mundane. I thought my studying would help me feel like the sky was breaking open with epiphanies or something. But it wasn't. Enter then. Sisyphus. Pretty muscular guy, wearing nothing spare, a loincloth, shaggy hair, probably. The myth of Sisyphus is a Greek myth about a deceitful king, Sisyphus, who was punished by the gods in the underworld. His curse was to roll a boulder up a giant hill, but just when the boulder would almost reach the peak of the hill, it would roll right back down. So Sisyphus was basically forced to do this mundane, absolutely meaningless, grueling, and futile task for eternity. Albert Camus, a French existentialist philosopher, wrote a really famous essay called The Myth of Sisyphus, and he starts the essay saying there is but one true serious philosophical problem, and that is suicide. Describes how our lives like Sisyphus are just a series of really absurd things and actions and tasks and feelings thrown together like coleslaw if you will which I think is disgusting those things I described about my life running late to class going to the dining hall sitting for lecture these things Camus would say are really absurd I move through my life over and over completing the same tasks and for what what coheres a life together Certainty is a kind of hard thing to explain, but I'm going to go on a whim here and assume that you've most definitely felt this disorienting feeling that Camus is trying to describe. I mean, if you really think about your life, I mean, really contemplate the fact that you exist on this puny planet moving through your days and you breathe and live and say words that actually apparently have meaning and then one day you're going to die. I realize I'm not saying anything profound, but those facts, if you really think about them, are crazy. I spent many of my teen years in a kind of existential daze because I was constantly stunned by the fact that I existed. And maybe I am a little obsessed with this, but I'm sure you felt it too, that feeling that once in a while washes over you while you're doing something seemingly very normal, like making dinner or doing homework, and you realize, what am I doing? What is this for? I'm gonna die one day, and I've made memories scrubbing dishes. Camus said that if we think about our lives, we realize that they're so absurd. Thinking about this absurdity makes us sad because it doesn't make any sense. He says that our lives are guaranteed by nothing more than a high probability of suffering and the certainty of death, and our poor consciousness can't grapple with the irrationality, the meaninglessness of our existence. So we give ourselves excuses like happiness and pleasure and family, but ultimately we must look into the abyss, as Nietzsche says, and if we do, We see that our lives are like Sisyphus, doing a task of constant and laborious anguish forever. To each his own, and that's Camus, (laughs) but this isn't some abstract concept. Our entire culture is suffused with this understanding of existence. From movies. The universe is a cruel, uncaring void. The key to being happy isn't the search for meaning. To influencers. I guess the main way that I get joy in my life is just working myself so hard that I am proud that I am exhausted. YouTube videos. I'm going through an existential crisis. To everyday conversations. Throughout the week, I honestly sometimes feel like I don't exist. Just keep yourself Nobody busy with purpose. unimportant Nobody nonsense. Belongs anywhere. Everybody's gonna Eventually, die. Sometimes I feel dead. like I'm just wiggy, wiggy. pixels on a screen, alone on this- <coughs> pixels no on a screen. It's all consuming. The amount of fatalistic, nihilistic humor I see on Tumblr and Twitter every day should just be a very small testimony of that. I just saw a meme the other day i i thought it was pretty funny it was a skeleton with its arm stretched out and a thumbs up and it was wearing a baseball cap and in really comic lettering it said i don't believe in anything except in the intrinsic good of people and the redemptive power of art Imagination. which is one of the tamer memes there's so many of them that are like you're telling me i just have to wake up feel feelings and complete tasks every day i don't want this where can i get a refund Our entire culture and humor and interactions are built on cynicism and hopelessness and a fatalistic, anguished acceptance of the impossible difficulty of carrying on with life. We don't know how to deal with what we don't know, how to deal with this absurdity, with the irrational. We assume, or at least the society we live in seems to assume, that absurdity and irrationality and the certainty of death necessarily makes us sad, makes life meaningless. So we do all kinds of things to overcome this feeling of meaninglessness. We invest in friendships, in life experiences, in fun, in travel, in distractions, in diversions. But at the end of the day, many people, if not most people, believe that at the bottom of it all, we live a very absurd and meaningless existence. This really upsets me, and I know a lot of people are upset by this too, but because they believe that it's an immutable reality, that they think that it's just true that the world is a cynical and dark place where we can only find redemption in good people and good art and that's that. there's nothing more, nothing less, there's no meaning unless you make one, which in some ways can be kind of inspirational, but in most ways it implies a pretty sisyphean outlook where life is difficult and grueling and perpetual mild suffering, sometimes worse, but there's a little silver lining if you work hard enough. you have to make your own meaning, but that takes a lot of effort and the bottom line is Mostly life still sucks But that's not enough for me. I look at this vision of life, which some see as reality And I literally just can't help but believe something inside of me is longing to believe that there's more I grew up Muslim and I realized as soon as I could which I well, I was like 12 (laughs) that religion was a bulwark against meaninglessness, my personal bulwark against meaninglessness. But in high school, I had a lot of doubts about this. I think it's because our Islamic education is so bad in Muslim communities, but my understanding of spirituality was really weak and porous. So the toxic slew of nihilism and scientism and everything else Seeped into my heart and basically had me questioning whether God existed, whether I had a soul, why I wanted to believe so desperately in the transcendent, and I gave in to some of that cynicism. I often framed it as a kind of like objective, brave, philosophical quest for truth, which I'm a little embarrassed about today. I thought it was courageous and cool to frame questions in these way, even though it crippled me inside. These questions are just normal in the modern world. It took me a long time to realize how wild and abnormal some of them really are, how particularly divorced from the human experience, how weird the world we live in is, and how it does so very little to actually serve and nourish the human spirit. I want to explain why I think that. I'm going to go a little deeper into the history of the West, the modern world, in order to understand where this existential angst and cynicism comes from. The world, as people once knew it, changed with the rise of European civilization. We shall yet when a famous victory over these enemies of God, on my kingdom, and on my people! When Europe was just crawling out of the Dark Ages, institutions of religion, basically the Catholic Church, had gained a lot of power over the poor and illiterate peasantry. Religious leaders and centers of worship were profiting off of the ignorance of the masses by trying to get them to purchase indulgences With this indulgence, I can absolve any sin. I can even save the soul of the man who violates the mother of God herself. Which were just these things that you could buy from the church and clergymen promised it would help good paying Catholics get into heaven basically they were brainwashing these guys into paying their way into heaven when all of this money was just going into the pockets of these religious figures it's corruption there was a lot of corruption and religious exploitation during the rise of europe but with some small advances in technology communications and higher literacy more people could read the bible for themselves and were soon able to realize how corrupt the church was among other things in 1517 a professor of theology named martin luther finally articulated the problem with the Catholic Church. Martin Luther famously wrote 99 Theses, exposing why selling indulgences was wrong and why Christians shouldn't have to pay their way into heaven. Christ did not command the preaching of indulgences, but of the gospel. This was one of the watershed moments in the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, which broke away from the Catholic Church, making Christianity more accessible, more human. But the main point I want to make here is that since then, the West, and when I say the West, I mean Europe and North America for the most part, has had a very shaky relationship with religion. They don't trust religion. Powerful religious figures once used God as a way to validate their power on Earth and to dominate people beneath them. That's corruption, and it's dangerous for humans to invoke God just when it's convenient for them. God, this all-powerful yet super-distant guy who usually never showed up, what was that about anyway, seemed like he was just causing more chaos on Earth. Religion was then seen as an obstacle to human advancement and enlightenment, and the only way to overcome this was to remove God from the picture. Since then, the West has grown and dominated nearly every corner of the Earth. God has been belittled, humiliated, exiled, and made to seem dangerous, but also irrelevant. Because now, it's humans who rule the earth. On every level of human existence, people have cut themselves off from God. This happens on nearly every level of society and culture, from the arts to the sciences to economics, the West became more and more divorced from spirituality, religion, morality. Where once the law of the land came from sacred texts, it now came from people, democracy, demos, rule of the people. This also led to a scientific separation between God and the natural world. The world became something that could be reduced, tested, and explained without need for an explanation about God, just with the senses of human beings. This also led to a philosophical and social separation from God. Psychology explained human behavior, and philosophy became a way to arrive at truth simply through some pure logic and rationality. This even led to an economic separation from God, with the onset of capitalism, where people became quote-unquote independent, wage laborers earning for themselves, you know, the independent working man. Basically, the rise of the West is uniquely characterized by a radical separation of human beings from God on every single level of their earthly existence. The separation from God is about radical individualism and humanism. It's about the human, the individual person making their way in the world. The world before this was different. Human beings didn't seek to control their environment so much, partly because they didn't have the technology or infrastructure to do so. They were at the mercy of God, or the gods, and connecting to their natural environment, submitting to it, was the most important thing for their survival. But when people, and really I should say the West, europeans figured out how to dominate the world around them with the industrial revolution with science and technology when they learned how to organize labor in a way that they believed was maximally productive and efficient they forgot god they didn't need god anymore they were the rulers on earth god was a relic from an ignorant past a past where people were more primitive that's often how history is presented to us as though europe discovered science and democracy and boom everyone was free (laughs) as nietzsche famously wrote god is dead human beings finally broke the chain of history into the light they realized their human potential and their genius and the smallness the triviality of god so they killed him they were individuals this is humanism i remember learning about humanism in my AP world history class and feeling like, wow, finally human beings have broken open and realized their true potential. You know the famous painting by Michelangelo, it's called, um, Creation of Adam, where Adam casually reaches out with his index finger to God, almost lazily, and their fingers just barely touch. My world history teacher once explained how Adam is so humanized in that painting as if he is equal to God. I once found that incredible. I I don't think about it like that anymore because when we hack away at God, we're also hacking away literally incinerating an entire metaphysical superstructure that allowed us to understand the world in different ways, to connect to things in different ways. We're not just losing God, we're losing a sense of what happened before we existed, an explanation for what happens after we die. Other creatures, a spiritual center that connects us deeply to the world around us, everything vanishes. But it's not just that we lose metaphysical grounding. We lose something inside of ourselves that is connected to the metaphysical, to God. We lose the soul. We destroy the soul. In my opinion, (laughs) I think the existential angst, a sense of monotony and robotic movement through life, of pain, of cynicism, of terror that we feel today, is because of pervasive godlessness. Some people may say that the problems in our society actually come from capitalism or actually come from white supremacy, and I completely agree with them. But I think the root of these problems also come from this toxic liberal individualism. And this particular argument, I think, doesn't completely require organized religion as a solution. It's mostly a critique of the West. Camus is dealing with what happens to the pursuit of a meaningful life in the absence of God. This is a conundrum for him. Without God, he sees life as a string of grueling, repetitive tasks that ultimately don't add up to anything. We are all Sisyphus rolling a boulder up a hill for eternity. No wonder one of his fundamental questions is about the philosophical viability of suicide. I was at a party once, and it was pretty late, and we were all just on the floor of my bedroom having one of those late-night meaning-of-life conversations, and one of my friends was talking about how they felt like everything was so difficult, like everything was too much in a philosophical sense, I should say, and that they were wondering why life happened to them when they never specifically asked for it. They never asked to be born. We never asked to be born. In my opinion, I think that this is one of the side effects of radical individualism. The weight of the world, which really is too much, becomes a burden that must be carried by every individual on their own. That's the dark, dirty side of individualism. We think of the Industrial Revolution, and science, and all of these developments that allowed human beings to dominate the world as a source of freedom. But I don't think people were meant to carry the weight of the world all by themselves. It's too much. It's exhausting. We're breakable. We didn't ask to be born. We have no reprieve, no way out. We're rolling up this boulder by ourselves for no reason. It's horrible. And we live in a culture that burdens the individual with much more than she can bear. I want to explore what we lost with the rise of Western individualism, not simply what we gained. What was the price we paid for freedom, for progress, for liberty and justice for all? What did we sell to separate ourselves from God? I think we sold our souls, quite literally. We traded the divine part of ourselves in order to reap the earth. And when we sell the part of ourselves that is most intimately connected with the divine, with the source of life. When, like a petulant child, we cut ourselves off from God, we forget who we are. I want to pose an interesting idea here. In a world where we believe we have divinely ordained value, nothing can take our value as human beings away from us because it's God-given. You can be poor you can be homeless you can lose every material luxury but that doesn't make you less of a person because your value comes from something permanent and immutable outside of yourself it comes from god but in a post-industrial post-enlightenment capitalist world your value comes from the things you do and the things you own if you're poor or homeless or you don't have assets or you're an unproductive human being whatever that means That is seen as your individual failure, and you're seen as having very little value. Your value as a person is connected to the things you mostly can't even control about yourself. You can't control if you're rich or poor, because these things are connected to systematic entities. And so I think the modern world is characterized by a sense of dread for mere survival, and we call it rugged individualism. We can no longer understand life as a source of mercy because if we fail at it, if we're not a good capitalist, or if we don't have a good education, or if we're not powerful, or if we lack any of the material things that would give us value, we might as well just not exist at all. We lament existence. We say we never asked to be born. I just... (laughs) That's so sad to me. Even though... We would think that individualism and humanism is about getting closer to the human condition, I don't think that's the case. I think we go farther and farther away from something that we crave, something we long for, something we're desperate for. Paradoxically, individualism takes the individual farther away from themselves because we become estranged from the soul, from the divine, from God. This is a story of man becoming a stranger to himself. He looks in the mirror and cannot see a reflection, alienated from himself. It's a story of how we, or I should say in a broad sense, white Europeans, sold all of our souls. Of course, Camus doesn't diagnose the problem like this. In the end of The Myth of Sisyphus, Camus says that even despite absurdity, even despite the certain absence of God, we will ultimately be more devastated by believing in something that doesn't exist. We shouldn't believe in God, in other words, because it's just going to crush us, it's not the truth. Camus says that by realizing the absurdity of existence, we become free. Just by realizing the fact that life is absurd, that truth will liberate us. We allow ourselves to fully enjoy and take pleasure in the definite beauty of life by committing ourselves and being totally present in the struggle. You know, it's like, what matters is the friends we made along the way, or the journey is better than the destination. I feel like Camus ends this sprawling philosophical investigation on, like, a hallmark greeting card. In the end of the essay, Camus goes back to Sisyphus and imagines him rolling up that boulder. Camus writes, each atom of that stone, each mineral flake of that night-filled mountain, in itself forms a world. The struggle itself toward the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. That's sweet, Albert Camus, but I still don't believe you. Thank you all for tuning into the first episode of the weight of god this is a two-part episode so part two of the curious case of the soul will be out next week so tune in for that i'll also be taking responses and reviews and questions about anything in the podcast so feel free to send them to theweightofgod at gmail.com or dm me at theweightofgod on instagram and i will be thrilled to engage any thoughtful ideas weird or funny insights, anything at all. (laughs) The essay to the Myth of Sisyphus and other resources are linked in the show notes, so feel free to check those out as well. I hope you have a wonderful day. This is Faria signing out. Bye!